bum bum bottom 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 bum
penetrate the uh, panel process. That's right. All right, Lisa. So as we've mentioned like six or seven times already, Avengers Endgame is this weekend. Yes, it is. I am insanely anxious uh, to finally see this movie. Um, But I stupidly... took up a shift at Big Planet Comics tomorrow, and I won't be there for the premiere screening of Avengers Endgame with you. So you're actually going to see Avengers Endgame before me, and I'm not going to have a chance to watch it until 10.20 tomorrow night, and it's a three-hour and two-minute movie. I hope I stay awake. <laughs> you're going to stay awake. He, he has been so judicious, so extreme about... Avoiding spoilers. He's got a whole system. <laughs> hey, hey, the power hey, just came back, back on. on. Hey, look at that. Yeah. We're back on the board in the door cave. Power's on. Smooth sailing from this point forward. I'm sure you listeners really enjoyed our iPhone banter, so we did not (laughs) want to deny it from you and start over. Nah, plus, it's getting pretty late. It's getting pretty late. And you know that after 9 p.m., I get sleepy beep beep. You get sleepy beep beep. But Lisa, <laughs> you were saying before oh, the power came Oh, I had just on, misused the word judiciously. You do, you're not judicious in your muting of words on Twitter. You are liberal and rash and heartless, like Thanos <laughs> himself, slashing words out of Twitter. Currently on my Twitter, I have 100 words muted and 25 accounts uh, muted as well. Yeah. Yeah, and several blocked <laughs> just because. Just because they dared speak his name, yeah. the name of Thanos. Yes, yes, yes. So, yeah, okay. Yeah, I don't want to be spoiled, Lisa. Is that so wrong? Yeah, I'm afraid tomorrow to even look at him. I want you to have a dead face, no emotion. I'm really good at that. Yeah. <laughs> no, you're not. I know. I don't know. I, that the, the burden is not on you to keep me from being spoiled. That burden rests on the person who's concerned about it, which is me. And uh, yeah, it's- I a, even it's, went so far as to suggest to you, like, well, if you're like really, because I'm going to see it at five. Right. And the fan event. Woo. I'm very excited for myself. You have seen many a Marvel chapter before me. Yeah, that's true. That's so true. Um, I suggested that um, I like you could stay in the car until it was time to get you to bring you into the theater. Then I would put a, like a pillowcase over your head <laughs> and you can put headphones in your ears and I could walk you into the theater so you cannot hear nor see Any anybody's re- reactions. I like the idea of putting a sandwich board on that reads, if you spoil Avengers Endgame to this person, he will strangle you to death right here on this lobby floor. But that's maybe a little too aggressive. Well, and you are inviting people that are going, well, I'm definitely spoiling it for that guy. And then the guy's going to be very muscles. Well, I can tell you what. When I'm at the comic book store tomorrow working my shift, I am putting a sign up that says, if you spoil Avengers Endgame, you will be banned from the premises for life. That seems fair. It yes. seems fair. So I'm comic excited. Comic book nerds should I'm know. Excited. I'm, I'm excited. Not only am I excited, I'm excited to have just read the Infinity Gauntlet before seeing Endgame. Because now there's 
all kinds of stuff I want to see in this film. I think you're going to be disappointed. I yeah. don't think Endgame's going to have much to do with Infinity Gauntlet. I, I want think Nebula in- to have hair. She looks so no, awesome. No, she's not going to have hair. <laughs> <laughs> I think most of this comic's adaptation occurred in Infinity War, and there's very little of Infinity Gauntlet within the MCU film. Yeah, but but... There definitely has to be a face-off between Nebula and Thanos. And who knows? Yes. When she puts the gauntlet on, maybe she will have hair. I don't know. And an awesome, like, mauve jumpsuit. Here's the thing, Lisa. Yes. After tonight, um, we are going to see Avengers Endgame. And on the next episode of CBCC, we will have full knowledge of what went down in the latest Marvel movie. There's no going back. We'll be different people then. Yeah, and I'm sure we'll talk uh, a bit about the film on that episode, although we'll share our more in-depth spoilery thoughts on our other podcast, In the Mouth of Dorkness. We're going to have an epic review cast, full spoilers. So if you want to hear our thoughts on Avengers Endgame, stay tuned to that uh, feed. Yeah, I'm excited. Okay, Lisa. Yes. Here we go. Oh, another cool thing. Mm What? Um... Brene Brown, our love expert, had a special on Netflix. We didn't even coordinate that. We did not know that that was coming out. That was just a beautiful coinkydink. So if you are like me and watch a lot of self-help programming on the Netflix, you watch your uh, Queer Eye, you watch your uh, Marie Kondo, uh, yeah, you've probably seen it pop up in your algorithm and I highly suggest watching it. Brad, you, we watched it together. Yeah, and I usually hate self-help things. Uh, he could not watch the Tony Robbins documentary oh, all the God way through. No. He God was so no. twitchy. Uh-uh, uh-uh. No, no, no. He's got a creepy vibe. He's got a vibe. He's got banana hands, as Shadow Hal uh, described them. Um, <laughs> I really enjoyed the Brene Brown special, honestly, and I was incredibly resistant to it. But I think doing this podcast with you has opened me up to having relationship conversations beyond just Brad and Lisa time. Mm-hmm. And I I do think that Brene Brown has a lot of quality information to deliver. And I am receptive to her wavelength. Yeah, I think the fact that she is... She speaks from her own experience a lot, but she also speaks from the wealth of knowledge that she's gathered over her many years of being a shame and vulnerability researcher. Right, right, right. Which I find so cool and so niche and so interesting. Um, Having read two-thirds, yeah, I'm like seven chapters in to Daring Greatly, um, there's actually not a lot of new information I saw in this documentary. Documentary, what is it? Like special? It's like a stand-up, but yeah, not like funny. a talk. It's like a it's really a, long TED talk. I thought I got some funny. chucks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's we a little some, funny. We got some chuckles from that. But um, the one thing that I got from that special that I had not gotten from the book, at least thus far, is um, the example of the story I'm telling myself. So she uses the example of there was a time she reached out to her husband and, you know, like in a, in a moment she was like, hey, you know, I'm feeling very warmly towards you. And he kind of dissed her and then he didn't want to discuss it. Um, And she started the conversation with, well, the story I'm telling myself is by not talking to me, you are rejecting me in one way or another. And I think that that applies very well to this particular book and the relationship between 
Thanos and Mistress Death. Because this Mistress Death, not as chatty as Mistress Death in Thanos Rising. No, very different death. But having read Thanos Rising, I feel like that brings a lot of context to the relationship that starts off the Infinity Gauntlet storyline. Yes, and like during the entire story, Thanos is trying to project on her what she is thinking and what she wants of him. Us as the reader and with Thanos rising as a context are now projecting on her what she could possibly be thinking. So now she's doing like a double manipulation through a very invaluable tool, the silent treatment. (laughs) Yeah. All right. So... Thanos, Mistress Death, and the Infinity Gauntlet. Without a doubt, one of my favorite Marvel miniseries. Uh, Written by Thanos creator Jim Starlin and illustrated by comic book legend George Perez and Ron Lim. Aesthetically, I love this book. I think it's so beautiful and so cool. It's gorgeous. I want to Instagram every panel, Lisa. If you follow us on Twitter... We already have. Yeah. <laughs> We've both Instagrammed panels from this book. We have, we have. Uh, so it was originally published as a six-issue limited series between July and December of 1991. As I mentioned last week, this was my formative years of comic book consumption, and the Infinity Gauntlet was my first experience with crossover event storytelling, and I ate it all up. Starlin... He created Thanos back in the 70s, and all this cosmic stuff involving Infinity Gems and Adam Warlock was his bread and butter. But in the 1980s, Starlin spent a lot of his time working over at DC Comics. His best space work over there was probably Cosmic Odyssey, which was illustrated by pre-Hellboy Mike Mignola. How sweet! It's gorgeous, Lisa. I I really want you to read this book. It's... Basically, this massive dark side story um, written by the guy who created Thanos, which was a partial ripoff of Jack Kirby's dark side. A ripoff of another character? That never happens in comics. (laughs) Cosmic Odyssey and Infinity Gauntlet are a great double feature. Oh, nice. Now, in 1988, over at Marvel, Silver Surfer writer Steve Englehart had an idea involving the Infinity Gems and Mistress Death, and Editor-in-Chief Tom DeFalca liked this idea so much that he asked Jim Starlin to come back to Marvel away from DC to write the story <laughs> that, himself. That is so cold. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, what about Steve Englehart? Oh, no. Um, now, the plan was for the Infinity Gauntlet storyline to be contained within the Silver Surfer series. However, Marvel Comics was recently purchased by McAndrews and Forbes Incorporated, and the mandate they gave was to exploit all their IPs for all their worth which meant this story should get a miniseries unto itself and multiple tie-in comics. Genius. The 90s speculator market was booming. (laughs) Now, artist George Perez, like I said, is a legend. He's best known as the guy who excels in illustrating titles with massive rosters, stuff like The Avengers, Teen Titans, and that other historic event book, Crisis on Infinite Earths. Now, when his exclusivity contract went up, Uh, DC Comics had to say goodbye, Marvel swooped in for the kill. Uh, Perez drew only the first issues of the Infinity Gauntlet, however. Um, 
He honestly was not that crazy about Jim Starlin's scripts. He felt that they were bloated and wasted a lot of space. I I do not see what he's talking about. Uh, (laughs) He might have some validity there. We'll get to it. He likes words. So he fell behind on his schedule because he was not terribly excited about what he was drawing. And Ron Lim, uh, the Silver Surfer artist, came in to finish the series. And honestly, like I love the Perez uh, issues. I think the art's gorgeous, but for me, the Thanos illustrator is Ron Lim. It's all the psychedelic stuff. Yeah, like at the end. Yeah, yeah, all, all the cosmic stuff. So yes, the Infinity Gauntlet was this massive blockbuster of the 1990s. The result were multiple sequels and a few spinoff series. I loved them all back in the day. I've reread them recently. I, you know, last year before Infinity War came out, I read the Infinity War comic, which is technically a sequel to Infinity Gauntlet. It's a lot of fun, but nowhere near as good as this series we're talking about today. There was a point in this book where. Um where uh, I thought it was a little, like, I became wary because I do not like, as much as I love comic books, yeah. I am not into a battle. Yeah, yeah. And I was so bummed when we got to what seemed like the final showdown between <laughs> Thanos and all of our favorite Marvel heroes. And I was like, there's still two thirds of this book. Is the rest of this book the face off with Thanos? And it was. Yeah. It read quickly, though. It's, it reads quickly. It's a massive brawl book. Um, but yeah, I, I, like I said, I loved it. Like, to me, this was very earnest storytelling back in 1991 when I was 12 years old reading this. Mm-hmm. Reading it now, it is an awkward 90s story. The, the, the craftsmanship is a little different than what we're used to in contemporary comic books. You have to bring a lot of context to the story itself. Yes, it is bloated. I understand what George Perez was talking about. Still rereading this book, I I really cherished it, Lisa. Did you like it? I really enjoyed reading it. And even more than that, I've enjoyed thinking about it once it's over. Mm -hmm. Like I've enjoyed um, going through my Brene Brown and thinking about, okay, so what is this saying about this relationship between Thanos and Mistress Death? And we've had some cool conversations off mic about it that I've enjoyed a lot. Yeah, this week when we've had some spare time together, uh, we've wandered the streets, or really the wooded paths of Reston. Yeah, spring has sprung, finally. It's gorgeous outside, and we've spent those walks exclusively talking about Thanos. <laughs> and it's, it was so romantic. Yeah, I didn't know love could be like this, Lisa, and I cherish every walk we have where we talk comic books. Aw, yay. So, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I love you. Is what I I'm love saying. you too. Okay. Now, Brene Brown, though. Yes. How are we pl- applying Daring Greatly to this conversation today? Yes. Um, Brene Brown is a researcher and best-selling author in the areas of vulnerability and shame. In her book, Daring Greatly, How the Courage to be Vulnerable Transforms the Way We Live, Love, Parent, and Lead, she advocates for what she calls wholehearted living, engaging with our lives with a sense of worthiness and willingness to take risks in order to be the person we want to become. Her research shows that our fear of vulnerability is the greatest stumbling block to reaching our goals. We feel vulnerable every time we are confronted with uncertainty, risk, or emotional exposure. The crux of the struggle is that as a society, we value courage 
but we demonize vulnerability as weakness, foolhardiness, or neediness. Brene Brown puts that dichotomy to bed with one question. Can you think of one act of courage that did not require uncertainty, risk, or emotional exposure? Hmm. Okay. Easy to follow. I think I get it. Yes. I've also seen her special. Yes, you have. Um, So last week we talked about how in Thanos Rising, from the time Thanos was a small child, death manipulated him by feeding into the greatest downside of vulnerability, shame. Shame comes from the fear of social rejection and disconnection, and it derives its power from being unspeakable. Shame makes us feel unworthy of love, belonging, and joy, and causes us to behave in ways contrary to our values. Shame turned Thanos from a little artist scientist who just wanted to fit in and be loved loved by his parents into a bloodthirsty mad titan. He was already, though, obsessed with death, drawing little corpse lizards. But who isn't drawing little corpse lizards, Uh, really? I never drew little corpse lizards, but Jeffrey Dahmer did. (laughs) Still disturbed by that book. Jeffrey Dahmer wasn't the first insecure artist to be turned into a mad killing machine. Hitler? That's what I was referencing. (laughs) (laughs) But, I mean, shame doesn't always result in genocide. Like, it, it happens on the small scale. Like, just this morning, I woke up late. I had an early appointment, and I took out my phone, and I wanted to text Hey, ugh, I'm stuck in traffic, Mm. (laughs) which I'm going, well, lying is contrary to my values, Mm -hmm. but I was feeling ashamed of sleeping in and Mm -hmm. not getting up in time. Mm -hmm. I channeled my inner Brene Brown and I was vulnerable for a moment. Uh, I slept in. I'm going to be a few minutes late. These people know me. I don't make a habit of being late. I, it's a very important that our listeners know that I also am very punctual. You are. <laughs> and you find people who are late despicable. That's right. I do. <laughs> so, yeah. So, like, we do little things in our lives as a result of shame. As we've said in the Infinity Gauntlet, Mistress Death is much less chatty, but she still has the power to send Thanos into a shame spiral that is ultimately his undoing. So the new Brene Brown concept I want to talk about this week is the idea of scarcity. Scarcity is the shame-based fear of never being enough. So we saw that a lot in Thanos Rising, this idea of, well, if you really loved me, you would kill all of your progeny and all of the women you progenied with. Mm -hmm. And then you would kill all of these people who are pestering you, right? So she's going... And he keeps doing these things and he gets the big time blue balls going like, when, (laughs) purple balls, I guess, when (laughs) is what I, when am I going to be enough Mm -hmm. in my lover's eyes, right? When am I going to be enough in death's eyes? So this is, this theme is carried through the Infinity Gauntlet as well. It, you know, Thanos rising, the end of that storyline is... He's never going to please death. And he seems to recognize that by the end of Thanos Rising. However, at the start of the Infinity Gauntlet, he hasn't learned that lesson, apparently. Right. Or he's forgotten the lesson. (laughs) Yeah. Comics. Comics. Scarcity is something that seems to be built into our culture. We see it in our advertising. We see it in our movies. We see it 
everywhere. We're never smart enough. We're never strong enough. We're never thin enough. We're never healthy enough. And that causes so much shame in us that we find ourselves being trapped in certain behaviors. So the behaviors of scarcity are blaming, comparing, and disengaging. So as a musician, I deal with scarcity a lot, thinking I'm not talented enough, I'm not professional enough, right? I'm not invaluable enough. So when a performance doesn't go as perfectly as I've hoped, I'll start doing this little dance of first, well, if the director had done such and such, I wouldn't have made that mistake. Or um, when after I've made a mistake, I listen for other musicians to make mistakes. Well, it's like, well, I made a mistake, but that person made a worse mm-hmm. mistake. So mm-hmm. therefore, I am better than that person. Or, you know, I can just go, well, this performance doesn't matter to me. I don't care. And I emotionally detach. So, Brad, mm-hmm. how. Ha- Are there any instances in your life where you feel like you have been uh, dealing with shame based on scarcity? I think uh, it's very similar to what you were just saying about, uh, you know, being a musician. I think that can apply very much to my writing. Um, I put an article out there, uh, let's say... It has some negative responses from people on Twitter or they correct me or something along those lines. Mm -hmm. And I go into either, well, I was rushed on that. I had a deadline. I couldn't fulfill uh, every aspect of this Right, so blaming, right? Yeah, blaming. Um, Or it could be, well, this is just some BS news story that I didn't really care about in the first place. Detaching. So not on me. Right, Stuff like that. yeah. What scarcity ultimately deals with is our inner feeling of worthiness. So I'm thinking, uh, I'm not talented enough. I'm not worthy of singing professionally. Or you're going, uh, you know, I'm not worthy of writing this article or that article for film school rejects, whatever. With Thanos, he's going, I'm not worthy to be loved by death. So he starts going through what Brene Brown calls the hustle of worthiness, the exhausting, unsustainable effort of trying to perform for others so they can't see how inadequate he feels. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. When we're dealing with feelings of shame or trying to avoid areas of vulnerability in our lives, we tend to throw up these common shields that we think we're going... If I do this, I will be shielded from vulnerability. But in actuality, we are either keeping ourselves from living up to our potential, getting it in the way of who we really want to be, or just opening us up to another kind of vulnerability that we didn't necessarily anticipate. So I just want to quickly go over some of the most common vulnerability shields. All right, hit me with it. Okay, so the first vulnerability shield is foreboding joy. When everything is going well, instead of enjoying the moment, we can start dreading when things will go wrong. Uh Yeah, 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 for sure. This is something I really struggled with early in our marriage. And literally every time you and I would separate, (laughs) I would just have this wave of anxiety that one of us would get in a car wreck Mm -hmm. or have an aneurysm. Mm -hmm. And that last goodbye would be 
our last goodbye. Yeah, I mean, I I remember having conversations with you about that, and I also would share those dark thoughts uh, in early on in our relationship. I don't have them too much now. I will say that I am almost positive I'm going to have a heart attack, or I'm <laughs> going to get hit by a bus, or you know, some sniper is going to take me out right as I'm walking into the Alamo Draft House to see <laughs> Avengers Endgame. Yeah. <laughs> He has been having a lot of foreboding joy. Just but just how how hard you are avoiding spoilers. That is your foreboding joy. You're like, I'm not gonna enjoy the movie because someone's gonna spoil it for me. So true and painful and sad. Yeah, but a lot of our little parting rituals that we have when we leave the apartment were born of that foreboding joy. Sure. So uh, sometimes when I'm leaving and we're saying goodbye, I'll say, I'm looking at you. And the reason I do that is, well, I don't want our last goodbye to be us not looking at each yeah, other like, like over later. the shoulder. <laughs> so I'll go like, I'm looking at you so that you'll turn around and look at me. And, and then th- I'll see you. And then if you die in a car wreck, this will be my last image of you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, or like oh we say, this is super this is, personal. You right, might want to cut it. Right. Um, but we also say, I miss you, Alfredo, oh. is what we say, which is b- born of I miss you already. Yeah. And then how did it like? It's our cockney. Of, it's our cockney yeah. version of saying, yeah, so "I miss you already." Uh, I miss you, Alfredo. You know, right? Yeah, it's just it's yeah, because it was originally "I miss you already." Then I started saying, "I, I miss you, Alfredo," and then that became "I miss you, Alfredo." Yeah, dumb. Oh, but love. But it like that. But that's how foreboding joy works. It can get really superstitious, and I think, you know, like part of me goes like, "Well, if I anticipate dying in a car wreck." Or I anticipate like having a random aneurysm or being hit by a truck or the well, I'm not a prophet, so it couldn't possibly happen because sure. I thought of it. Sure, sure. So the problem with foreboding joy is like we think we're emotionally preparing ourselves for tragedy or disappointment. But the thing is, if I was hit by a truck, or if you were hit by a truck, and you or you had that coronary you were just talking about heart attack, heart attack. Oh, sure. Um, like I would still be devastated. Yeah. <laughs> like, but so, I, but more importantly, I would miss Avengers Endgame, Lisa. Right, and that would be horrible. <laughs> or like, um, you know, if you, um, you know, try, you know, you send a pitch to another. Like if another site, yeah, yeah, to another site, and your pitch gets rejected, you're still going to be disappointed, even though you spent all that time like dreading it. So when when you're dealing with foreboding (laughs) joy, all all you're doing is robbing yourself of happiness. Sure, 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 sure. So the antidote to foreboding joy is gratitude. So gratitude is like the opposite of scarcity because it's telling yourself, well, I have enough. This moment is enough. This feeling is enough, right? So whenever you're feeling vulnerable, she suggests to state aloud what you're grateful for. Like, so if I'm leaving the apartment and I have that wave of foreboding joy, you know, I can look at you and go like, I am so grateful for the love that we share, or I'm so grateful for this opportunity to go see Avengers Endgame without you. Oh, or <laughs> I can say, at least I saw the previous 21 MCU movies. Yeah. Mm, I'm gratitude for that. Yeah. Um, the second common vulnerability shield is perfectionism. The idea that if we're perfect, we can avoid blame, 
judgment or shame. It's not something that you're doing for yourself. It's something that you do to seek the approval of others. Worrying about not being perfect can start to feel like a self-fulfilling prophecy because you're fretting about being perfect, but you're human, so you make a mistake, then you blame yourself for not being perfect enough, right? So Mm -hmm. I'm not perfect enough, scarcity, right? I made a mistake, shame, Mm -hmm. right? Sure. Um, And I'm not a a perfectionist in every area of my life, but I do feel perfectionist in areas I feel insecure. So going back to being a musician, I'm – I got my degree in singing. I'm very comfortable singing. And I can I can go do a wedding, right? And I can do a bad job. I can make a mistake. I can be in not good voice. But I feel confident enough that I'm like, well, no matter what happens, they can still tell I'm a good and professional singer, right? Mm-hmm. But piano, mm-hmm. like, I quit pia- my piano lessons when I was 16, even though I had taken I had taken piano for eleven years and I never really stopped, I just stopped taking lessons, and um, but I am still called upon very often to play the piano. So I find playing the piano so nerve wracking, and I practice and I practice and I practice, and then I kick myself over the mistakes that never I make. Never satisfied with your piano. Never, yeah. never. So so yeah. So I think you know where singing I go like ah I'm good enough. You know, I'm allowed to make mistakes, but in piano playing, I'm like, I am not good enough, and it shows. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Uh, like, I don't personally feel like I'm a perfectionist, really, the way that I see you uh, striving for perfection in those areas. Right. I mean, there are definitely projects you spend more time on. Right. I mean, the Road to Endgame series that I've been doing for FSR, I spend a lot more time writing those articles than I do, you know, a trailer reaction or something like that. But you are pretty good at reaching the point of it is what it is. It's time to put it out there, yeah. which I really admire about yeah, you, actually. Because, you know, if you spend so much time writing one particular article, I'm, you know, it's not going to get me more money. I need to be shorter, quicker, uh, and more productive. Right. Uh, and, and to, you know, make, make each minute uh, the most profitable. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So the antidote, if you find, listener, dear listener, that you are perfectionist, the antidote to perfectionism is self-kindness, common humanity, and mindfulness. So self-kindness is telling telling yourself, I'm allowed to make mistakes. Common humanity is saying, like, everybody makes mistakes. And, um, and then the last one, oh, mindfulness is, I might feel bad now about my mistake, but I'm not going to feel bad forever. So I might as well move on as soon as I can and go on to the next thing, Mm -hmm. which I think in and of itself, like a good mantra for me would be, I'm allowed to make mistakes. Everybody makes mistakes. And even though I feel bad now, I'm not going to feel bad forever. Failure is necessary to success. That is one thing that I think Brene Brown sold big time in her Netflix special Mm -hmm. because she's going like vulnerability doesn't mean you may fail. Vulnerability means you will fail. Right. And bringing that back to comic books and superheroes and what have you, Mm -hmm. that's what I find to be the appeal of the Marvel Universe is that these heroes are constantly struggling, are constantly falling and failing and still pushing through that. That's true. And even in the Infinity Gauntlet. Even Thanos. Thanos makes mistakes. But also uh, the Avengers make mistakes. (laughs) Adam Warlock makes mistakes. Like there's like 19 times where Adam Warlock is like, 
this is not going well. (laughs) I had a plan. Things are worse than I anticipated. (laughs) I am still worthy of being in charge. (laughs) Meanwhile, Silver Surfer is like stomping around in the background going, when is it my turn? Yeah, why am I following this guy? (laughs) Fun. Okay, well, on that note, let's get into the Infinity Gauntlet itself. Lisa. Yes. There's a lot going on in this book. Yeah. Uh, my I my tabby count, though uh it's not perfect, <laughs> is um I'm I'm thinking I have like 60 some odd tabbies. Yeah, it's impressive. I can see them all right there. Uh look, um it involves the entire Marvel universe for the most part. I know that some X editors didn't want their X-Men showing up in this, so they were like, you can have Cyclops and Cyclops and only. Oh, and Wolverine. Yeah. You get Cyclops and Wolverine. No other X-Men. Actual editorial mandate for this book. That's so funny because it, I can't remember who it was, but like somebody is like, where are the X-Men at? Oh, they might just be off planet somewhere. Or they got snapped. Uh, <laughs> let's try to do a plot synopsis for this book. Uh, six issues, but they're extra long, and they are filled to the brim. Things happen. Lots of things happen. So here's the basic deal. Thanos, the Mad Titan, is infuriated with Mistress Death because she refuses to acknowledge his existence. He's acquired the Infinity Gems from various cosmic forces. What the hell are the Infinity Gems, Lisa? They're like special rocks of powers? Well, let me explain them using the words of Mephisto in the Infinity Gauntlet prologue story that appears in Silver Surfer number 45. Side reading. Side reading. I have never heard this origin before. It kind of blew my mind. Okay, I'm ready. These are Mephisto's words. The gems were once an omnipotent being that was all that was throughout infinity. It was an existence it found unbearably lonely and futile. Now, that being eventually committed a cosmic form of suicide, according to Thanos, whatever the hell that means. Um, But before it opted for that drastic solution, it attempted to alleviate its solitude in another fashion. By creating Mephisto and various other demons of his ilk, Now, this is Mephisto's words again. Of course, the demon hordes displeased our creator. So being the simple-minded entity that he was, he chose to destroy us rather than bother with modest modifications. When the being self-destructed in a big bang, it was the birth of all that exists today. Whoa. What? That's cray-cray-banane. So basically, what remained of God were the six infinity gems, mind, power, reality, soul, space, and time. Dude, <laughs> that is like weed thought. <laughs> I, I've heard. I have not tried weed. I Big didn't. time. Star, Starlin, he's, he's smoking the reefer. <laughs> uh, now, when these gems were placed together in Thanos' gauntlet, they gave him full access over creation. He is the new God. I've like again when you're reading the Infinity Gauntlet, none of that is explained or important. Or, like, I didn't or, even right. wonder. They're just omnipotent. Well, not they're not omnipotent, they're uh, MacGuffins, they're just magical stones that, that give him vast power, and that's basically how they're treated in the MCU as well. But I love this idea that they are dead gods, they are dead gods. <laughs> 
So with Mephisto. I like the yeah. idea of Mephisto being second, too, because he's such a lame character. Well, I mean, he's I don't think he's a lame character. You need to read Silver Surfer number 45. There are so many great Mephisto stories. I'm offended, Lisa. I'm I, so sorry. I've got to put together a little box of Mephisto comics for you. I love Mephisto. Oh, my. So here he is. He's whispering in the ear of Thanos at the start of the Infinity Gauntlet. And he's telling Thanos that he'll please Mistress Death if he eradicates half the population of the universe. Now, unlike Avengers Infinity War, Thanos' snap occurs very early in the Infinity Gauntlet storyline. Mm-hmm. Now, naturally, that is a great concern to the Avengers and the other heroes of the cosmos. They assemble, plot, and plan to take down the Mad Titan. Much of the comic book, as Lisa said, is one big, long, drawn-out battle in which Thanos continually decimates the good guys. In increasingly hilarious and fun ways. Oh, man. That... That cube that he puts over Cyclops' face as he's blasting his optic <laughs> blasts? Hilarious. No, adamantium spaghetti Wolverine is the best. <laughs> That's pretty the good. The best. That's pretty good. Uh, but look, what's the deal with Adam Warlock, Lisa, and the Silver Surfer? Because they're just hanging back from the fight. And why does Thanos keep his zombie granddaughter Nebula at his side? And why does none of this impress Mistress Death? Let's get into it. I have answers. Oh, let's do this. Well, let's start with why none of this, everything he's doing, impresses death. So apparently, and maybe you can explain this to me better, Mm. Thanos had died. Yes. Was he killed by Adam Warlock? Or did Uh, he die in that fight with Adam Warlock? He died in the second cosmic war with Thanos. I can't remember exactly the circumstances of it. Adam Warlock and Thanos died and now have been resurrected. Right. So Thanos was resurrected by death. Right. Specifically to address this cosmic imbalance. There had been, there were now more people alive in the universe than had ever been dead. And that just didn't seem right to her. So she decided to augment his powers and bring him back to life so that he could balance the scale, so to speak. And in the miniseries, The Thanos Quest, that's where he went around collecting the Infinity Gems from other cosmic entities. That's right. So after he collected the gems... He started going like, I'm a god now. This is amazing. And that's where this book starts. That's right. But with Mephisto going like, you're a god now. I'm your first acolyte. Tell me what we got to do. And Thanos is like, yes. But then he gets a sense of foreboding joy. (laughs) And he goes like, oh, no. Now Mistress Death is going to be upset with me because with the augmented powers that she gave me and then with these infinity stones, she's going to be mad because now I am more powerful than death. So the very next thing he does is goes to gravel at her feet. Gravel at her feet? Grovel at her feet. Gravel. Upon the gravel on the ground, he grovels on his feet. (laughs) And he starts going, I am so sorry. I've got these stones. And he starts making excuses like, you know, it felt weird that you're my girlfriend, but you're more powerful than me. And now I'm like more comfortable. What an incel. Yeah, big time. (laughs) 
But death starts giving him the cold shoulder, or what I like to call the cold shoulder, mm-hmm. and laying on a very thick silent treatment. And Thanos is like, I don't, I don't deserve this brusque treatment. And then that's when Mephisto comes in and is like, maybe she just needs to see that you're a badass like she is, that you're not up to this task. Right, right. And so in his groveling, Thanos is like, but I only sought such glory in order to become worthy of your love, right? That sense of scarcity. Your heart deserves better than the thrall that I was. Right. And that's when Mephisto says, well, maybe you should show her that you're worthy of her, that your heart is as black as her heart. And then that's when Thanos resurrects his granddaughter, Nebula. Although there's more to that story in Silver Surfer number 45. Oh, really? Yes. Why don't you tell us? (laughs) Well, it involves her pirate ship and her crew and Thanos taking over uh, and just, you know, like in this book, keeping her around as this token of um, his atrocity. There is way more pirates in Thanos' story than I ever anticipated. (laughs) There's a lot of Thanos pirates. But that's what Nebula is. Nebula is this... A space pirate. uh, Yeah, but she's like the symbol of his depravity. Yes, and what I love about the Infinity Gauntlet is throughout the book, now that she is resurrected as this really hideous Tales from the Crypt-like zombie... Starlin and Perez and Lim keep cutting back to her in these silent panels where she's just observing until she builds up to an action, which we'll talk about later in the episode. I love Thanos's explanation of Nebula, the situations that she's in. And so I just want to read it directly from the book. Sure, do it. Nebula has no hope of unconsciousness or true death relieving her of her continuous horror and agony. She is my living tribute to the blasphemy of life and the glorious promise of death. So it's the idea of like, well, like she wants to die. She desperately wants to die or cease being and she can't. Sure, sure. See, death, I love you. Well, but here's the thing, like Thanos has uh, opportunities to kill many people. And in some cases he, he certainly does. He rips the vision's heart right out of his body. But in other cases, like with Nebula, he refuses to let her die. Or in the case of Adam Warlock and the Silver Surfer, he takes their soul and tr- imprisons them in Soul World, leaving his their, leaving their bodies to rot on this monument that he has constructed for death. It's great. But of course, Mr. Steth, she's not moved by Nebula. No. She doesn't seem very impressed or even grossed out. The way death is drawn in this series is a complete blank. Yeah. Rarely, rarely is there even a hint of an expression. Occasionally a scowl, but it could be smelling space farts. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but like very limited facial movements is what I'm saying. Right. But that goes back to the Brene Brown thing of what's the story Thanos is telling himself Mm -hmm. or what's the story Mephisto is telling Thanos about death and how much of that is actually substantiated by the circumstances. Essentially, her blank expression is enough to drive Thanos cuckoo. Right. Yep. And it does. So now he has resurrected Nebula. She's unimpressed. He's got to take it one step further. It's time to do the balance that he promised her. That's right. She demanded. Yeah. Because Mephisto is like, well, maybe it's not that you're unworthy, 
maybe it's because she gave you these powers for one reason and one reason only, and you haven't done it yet. And he's like, oh, duh, my vow that I made. Snap. Half the universe disappears. A lover should always follow through on a vow. And boy, does he. And then like the next several pages are back on Earth and we're just witnessing people disappearing in front of Spider-Man, in front of Captain America, in front of Doctor Strange, uh, Nick Fury. Like Starlin and Perez really hammer home the idea that all your favorites are experiencing some kind of loss. Right. Generally of a slightly lesser character. Yes, true, true, true. Um, Now the MCU is like, let's snap Black Panther and Spider-Man and everyone's heads blew up. (laughs) Um, We also get a little glimpse at Titan. Eros um, lives. Mentor father disappears. Yeah, yeah. So Uh, it's not just happening on Earth. It's happening all over. The Kree assume it's the scroll. The scroll assume it's the Kree. Those guys. Can't get enough of them. So that happens, and now it's time for the heroes that are left to gather and fight. And they do for a long time. When the battle is about to begin, Mephisto manipulates Thanos a little bit because he goes like, you know, Thanos, you've got the Infinity Gems. You've got these augmented powers. You can whip these guys in a second. But... Fighting in battle that you're definitely going to win doesn't look particularly courageous. And if you really want to get death super wet in her (laughs) infinity well, you got to play down the powers a little bit to make it look like a struggle. Sure, sure, sure. Right? So he then caps off his powers to give, I guess, the Avengers a fighting chance. Yeah, yeah. And and so, yeah, he reduces himself. But he's still, like, committing insane magical acts of Yeah, combat. I don't see any kind of real diminishing like I of said, powers. The Cyclops is coming at him. He puts a, a cube over his head. He rips the heart out of vision, no problem. He turns Eros uh, 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 and that other person into like cubes and silly string. Yeah, but he could have just snapped. So I guess giving the Avengers and various superheroes the opportunity to get soundly and weirdly beaten by him, <laughs> I guess is pretty generous. And he's having a lot of fun doing it. Yeah. And while all of this is happening, Adam Warlock and Silver Surfer are hanging back in space, observing it all. Silver Surfer's losing his mind, but Adam Warlock promises him that this battle that's occurring on this uh, space station that Thanos has created as a yeah, monument it's a shrine. to death. Yeah, it's a shrine. It's like a shrine uh, to death. That the, the combat that's happening down there is a distraction for Adam Warlock's master plan. Yeah, and he's gotten the Celestials involved. They've taken sides. The Watcher's like, nope, I'm just watching. Galactus is coming. Yeah, he's. Uh, we skipped a part where Thanos accidentally got really mad and blew up a bunch of planets, the planet he was about to eat. Yeah, oh, don't so mess with- So now he's got steaks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't mess with Galactus's meals. Mm-mm. Um, meanwhile, back at the shrine, um, Thanos is like, I'm kicking all of these butts courageously and death- Still is like not, not impressed. So he decides to make a new girlfriend. (laughs) She looks creepily like his granddaughter and her name is Taraxia the Terrible. I mean, she looks like female Thanos. It's like he's loving himself. Yeah, or a close relative. Yeah, it's really strange. And it's an aspect of this story that I always forget. But it is... 
uh, for Thanos, he's like, this is everything my soul longs for. And death <laughs> does, I think, look kind of pissed. Yeah, she's not happy. She isn't happy. <laughs> but it's a, it's a small incremental facial expression change. Yeah. And Teraxia also fights. She pops yeah, Iron yeah, Man's heads off. Teraxia She's gets not useless. Into it. No, no. Teraxia is a full-on being, and she is, uh, you know, fighting for the will of Thanos. And it's really bizarre and kind of wonderful. But every time I read this book, I completely forget about her. She never comes up again. It is bizarre. So finally, the Celestials show up, and Galactus is facing uh, chaos and order. And um, love and hate. And the abstracts. Right. And then Mephisto. That guy. Turns out, demon, not to be trusted, Mm -hmm. starts trying to pull off his gauntlet. Which he does attempt this in Silver Surfer issue number 45, fails there, tries again in Infinity Gauntlet. Thanos, why is your right hand man always trying to steal your shiny glove? <laughs> um, so he's just like, so Thanos, a little agitated, got Mephisto by the neck and he's like, who, who made you do this? And then there's death. With full-on visage of disappointment. Yeah. And he's like, I offered you the universe. She denied it. And he is devastated. He's furious. And now it's time to square off against the other uh, cosmic beings that have shown up. Uh, Galactus, uh, Kronos, and Eternity. Right. And so Eternity is like... The big bad of the Celestials, particularly well, to Thanos, because Thanos Eterni- is kind of trying to take his throne. Yeah, well, eternity is that word. He is the personification of everything. Uh, so Thanos wants to become everything. That's right. So eternity is like to reclaim that which is mine and myself, control this reality. And then Thanos does like this flying. Punch, he looks teeny tiny. It's, uh, it is my favorite panel in the entire Infinity Gauntlet. This tiny speck of a Thanos leaping with his gauntlet out, ready to punch Eternity in the face. <laughs> like, only in comics. You know, this is where I want the MCU to go. I want the MCU to bring in concepts like the Celestials. We've had hints of them, but we need to have them, all of them. We need to have the abstracts like Chaos and Order and Eternity. This is awesome, you know, Reefer madness, Lisa. Yeah, yeah, super psycho jello stuff. <laughs> and then, like, Silver Surfer's like, what, what, what? What happened? Who won? And Adam Warlock is like, this is not looking good. <laughs> Turn the page. Boom. Thanos is eternity. He's replaced eternity. He has become the personification of everything. But what about his tiny corporeal body, Lisa? That's right. When he becomes eternity, he, he just leaves his body there lying on the ground. Magnificent Thanos. So uh, this is a quote. Magnificent, bleh, magnificent Thanos has rid himself of the flesh and has shed all vulnerability. <laughs> Brene Brown would know better. The moment you think you are invulnerable, that is when you are, in fact, the most vulnerable. True enough, because here comes Zombie Nebula. Do-de-do-de-do. Shuffles up to the husk of Thanos and just 
pulls the glove right off, achieves what Mephisto couldn't dream, puts the glove on her hand, and now she has the power of everything. And Thanos is nothing. He is no longer eternity, but just a mad titan. And as if to add insult to injury, when he created Taraxia, he did it within the context of him having the gauntlet. And so for some reason, when he doesn't have the gauntlet anymore, she can't breathe. And so she suffocates yeah, and so dies so of a, a cruel space death. Terrible. Yes. I love it. So then Doctor Strange sucks Thanos into the Sanctum Sanctorum and is like, well, we can't let her have the glove. So Thanos, will you join our side? Because we can't have the universe being controlled by a woman because she's going to get on her period and ruin everything. Yeah, a woman can't have her finger on the button, Lisa. No. So uh, Thanos is like, fine. And meanwhile, Nebula is starting to get really excited about being all powerful. And uh, like, this breaks my heart because she finally has this power. And the first thing she thinks about is never again will I be victimized or surprised. Yeah, well, I have some bad news for her because the final issue of the Infinity Gauntlet revolves around Thanos, the Avengers, and everybody who's left kicking Nebula in the teeth and removing the gauntlet from her. But not without first appealing to her now enormous and finally her her sense of worthiness. Mm. They're like, hey, you know, like Thanos... He spent all of this time as like with these powers and he's ruined everything. You are obviously going to be way more better, way more better, way more better <laughs> at being the god of everything. And she's like, yeah, Thanos's reign supreme was a blasphemy and that can't be allowed to stand. So Nebula turns back time. So everybody's back to life again. Yeah. Mary Jane, Jane's back. Yeah. Wong is back. Yep. It's all good in the hood. Uh, Wolverine is un-spaghetti skeletoned. Yeah. So through his connection to Soul World, Adam Warlock manages to manifest as an eternal being himself. Right. And this cataclysm causes Nebula to literally drop the gauntlet from her fist. To me. It looks like he somehow, because it looks like it's like hot. And she's like, what is this? So I think he like melted he, off of her hand. Yeah, he, I guess he like, yeah, he, ma- he makes it too hot. <laughs> right. And so he when it falls off, that right, when it falls off, she had uh, Thanos in like an igloo thing and he bursts fr- forth from his igloo thing. And then all of the. Avengers, Avengers and Thanos, everybody falls all over themselves. It's a mad dash to get to the gauntlet. Right. But Adam Warlock is first. He now possesses the Infinity Gauntlet. And I guess we're cool with that? Yeah, you know, he's got the soul gem thing. He's a hero because He's, he's written that way. He's probably fine. So now he is the new omnipotent being, and uh, hopefully he is a benevolent one. And the way that Infinity Gauntlet wraps up is everybody goes back to where they were before this whole madcap adventure began. Right, and and Thor tosses Thanos to like a distant planet. To a distant planet, and Thanos is like, 
I'm going to retire, become a farmer, and live the good life. Well, that's right. And and he kind of ends by going like, you know what? I don't actually envy Adam Warlock after all. You know, like that, you know, gauntlet is heavy and <laughs> yeah, yeah. a heavy huge responsibility. Right, 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 right. So and you get his little smile at the end. And that's where you get the content smile, which they replicate in Avengers Infinity War. Um all right, that's that's pretty much it for the Infinity Gauntlet plot-wise. Uh, there are sequels, Infinity War. There's also uh, Adam Warlock and the Infinity Watch. There's the Infinity Crusade. Lots more to deal with these gems. Uh, recently, Marvel has done another series called Infinity Wars that I liked quite a bit. Uh, uh, author Jerry Dugan and illustrator Mike Diodato Jr. have a lot of fun with the Infinity Gems. Uh, so yeah, if you are if you want more of this kind of cosmic silliness with MacGuffins, you can get them all over the place right now. But Lisa. Yes. So you've clearly enjoyed Infinity Gauntlet. Did you enjoy this as a climax to the story? Are you feeling okay that... Adam Warlock has the gauntlet and Thanos is retired on his farm. Honestly, for me, the Infinity Stones and the gauntlet and the whole thing, like, is not the interesting part of the story to me. Mm -hmm. The interesting part of the story is how death, through her silence and her scowls, is able to just twist and toy with Thanos because... She has fostered this relationship where he can never feel worthy of her and therefore she is all he wants in the universe. Mm -hmm. And I think it's interesting how once he manifests Taraxia, (laughs) you know, he has that moment like, where death is like a little upset uh, well well where like he's still hurt when Mm -hmm. death tries to use mephisto to get the gauntlet back like he's just like lady i tried to give you the universe and you betray me in this way so you have no right to be upset about taraxia right yeah yeah yeah. right so so i i find the fact that i just find death i just find the relationship really interesting And the fact that it just kind of goes unaddressed at the end of the story, kind of weird. So the fact that there actually is very little Thanos death conversation or focus on their relationship in Infinity Gauntlet compared to, say, Thanos rising, that didn't bother you too much? Uh, I thought that this was all about their relationship. Everything he did was motivated by his feeling of unworthiness before her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, If, if it was really about power for him, he would have risen from the dead, looked in the infinity well, seen the stones, got them, and is like, well, I guess I'm death now. I'm more powerful than you. I'm just going to do my own thing. Like, it's not you, it's me. Let's break up. Yeah, or let me completely replace you and obliterate you. Right, but because of his sense of scarcity of her love, he was incapable of being a god. Mm -hmm. And you ended up enjoying a lot of the action? No. Sure. (laughs) You're lying. You're straight up lying. I liked the art. I thought it was very creative, but I do feel like a lot of the battle is a slog. And and did you feel like, I wish this was three issues or just more focus on Thanos and death or what the hell is the deal with Adam Warlock? 
I think it would have been more interesting longer than shorter. I think that the stages mm. of the battle could have been drawn out. We could have gotten more into the other characters. To me, it's just like... Uh, like, I can read a long book. The problem isn't that the book is long. The problem is that it goes from this stage of the battle to this stage of the battle to this stage of the battle. It's just, like, it gets it drones on and on and on. So for me, as much as I really enjoyed revisiting the Infinity Gauntlet, and I do love Jim Starlin's very trippy, vague cosmic philosophy that's going on in this book constantly... It is a lot of blather, <laughs> and it it is it, it it's not as focused as I would like it to be. Right, and I think a longer version of the Infinity Gauntlet would be totally reasonable if written today by Jim Starlin, which he's kind of doing in his Thanos original graphic novels. Although the relationship with Thanos and Death is also sort of minimized because of how they use Death in the current Marvel continuity, um, but I. 1991, I just don't think they are writing comics for 2019, Brad and Lisa. And so those action scenes and a lot of that vague philosophy does feel a little bit like a slog today. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. But I would encourage listeners to seek out those Thanos original graphic novels that Jim Starlin is wrapping up right now, starting with the Infinity Revelation, I want to say. But yeah, go seek those out. Alrighty then. So this brings us to the end of the episode. We got to wrap this up. Lisa, what did you see of yourself or me or our relationship in this book? Actually, I think we've talked a lot about that already. But what would you apply from the Infinity Gauntlet, in particular the relationship between Thanos and Death, to our relationship? To me, like, I feel scarcity in my professional life. I feel scarcity maybe, like, personally about becoming the person I want to become. Um, Emma, you know, like there are days I don't feel pretty enough. There are days that I don't feel thin enough, like that kind of stuff. Um, there are lots of days where I feel like I'm not a good enough driver. That's true. That's a, <laughs> that's an area of vulnerability for me. Um, but I do not feel scarcity in my relationship with you. Mm. And I, I would, but there has been relationships I have been in where, There was this sense of scarcity going like, "Mm, am I being cool enough? Particularly in the dating stages, you're like, "Uh, am I am I cool enough for this person? Uh, Is you know, am I funny enough? Whatever. And I think that if you are with someone who gives you a sense of scarcity, where you're having to get up every morning and go like, am I enough for this person? Get out of that relationship. That is a toxic, toxic situation. And I think that. When your partner is supposed to be the person that you can bounce your vulnerabilities off of. I actually have, uh, I listened to um, a conversation on Pete Holmes's podcast, You Made It Weird, which I'm a huge fan of. I think he is very vulnerable on his podcast talking about his creative process, discussing religion and sex, but he had this episode with Nadia Boltz Weber, who is a comedian, but she's also some kind of like reverend or something, Christian lady. 
Um, but they were talking about vulnerability in relationships. And the way Pete talked about his relationship with his wife, Valerie, is like when he has a toxic thought or a vulnerable feeling, he mentions it to her and he's, he says, like, oh, I wish I could put it perfectly, but it, he likened it to weeding a garden. <laughs> like, your partner is there to help you weed your garden of these toxic thoughts or vulnerabilities to so that you can have a beautiful life together. <laughs> so if you're in a relationship where your partner doesn't allow you to be vulnerable or your sense of scarcity makes you withhold your your what you're feeling insecure about that's just not going to be a fruitful relationship hmm. i think for myself in the infinity gauntlet uh, I don't. I don't see a lot of Brad and Lisa. No, <laughs> and I. And, and Thank we, goodness. We knew that was going to be the Celestials. case. We knew that was going to be the case, uh, starting with Thanos rising. That we weren't going to see a lot of Brad and Lisa in Thanos and death. Um, but uh, you know that idea of wanting to please your partner and feeling that you're not living up to that. I have experienced a little bit, um, but not in any extreme way. But, and the idea of a blank face from your partner allowing you to have uh, a narrative or or maybe even uh, moments when you're at work and I'm at work and we're separated and I am thinking about how Lisa uh, and I left after an argument or something along those right. lines. You start to build that narrative, right? Right. So I, I do like I do see those behaviors there um, in Thanos and Death that we 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 share. For me, this month, talking about Daring Greatly and Brene Brown's work, I find a lot to relate to. Mm -hmm. And I've really enjoyed our conversations about her work in a way that I have not enjoyed conversations about, you know, John Gray's Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus, or Gary Chapman's The Five Love Languages. I like Don Stack, uh, not Stan, Don, Stan. Dr. Stan Tatkin's Wired for Dating. Uh, I, that was uh, a solid book and certainly better than the books that we had talked before. But right now, Brene Brown, Daring Greatly, is my favorite, not relationship guide, but self-improvement guide that we have discussed on CBCC. Yeah, for sure. And I do think that um, her tactic of when you are getting that blank expression from your partner or when your partner, you know, shuts down a conversation – trying to open the conversation up again with the vulnerability of this is the story I'm telling myself right now mm -hmm. from your silence. I think that, that that is something that we could use in our relationship. Okay. That closes it out for the infinity gauntlet. We've, Finished reading and discussing one of the most popular and epic Marvel comic storylines, and that is only week two in our conversation surrounding Thanos and death. I cannot wait to know where we're going next with this couple, and what more can we learn from them? <laughs> well, that makes two of us, Lisa, um, because I was really struggling to pick a third storyline to explore the romance between Thanos and death. I knew I wanted to close out our month on Donny Cates' Thanos Wins uh, comic book series, but for week three in our conversation, man, it was just proving to be a real tough selection. I, I was obsessing over Thanos comics. Now... 
Thankfully, we have some really cool friends and listeners uh, who offered a recommendation. And this one comes from film blogger Jonita Davis, who you can find at Jonita L. Davis. That's J-O-N-I-T-A-L-D-A-V-I-S on Twitter. Uh, And she writes predominantly for Black Girl Nerds, and you should totally check out all of her work. She told me that we have to read Deadpool versus Thanos. Okay. Um, you know, it's a short four-issue miniseries written by Tim Seeley and illustrated by Elmo Bonduk, and I know almost nothing about it. I've never read it before, but I do know that it has direct ties to Thanos' relationship with Mistress Death. So, yeah, our first Deadpool comic, Lisa. How do you feel about that? Yeah, I don't, Honestly, I don't know. Yeah, neither do I. I've never read... A Deadpool comic. I've read comics with Deadpool. You in were them. a big fan of Secret Avengers. Yes. That's that's what I was specifically thinking about. And I enjoyed how he was like sprinkled in. Yeah, yeah. He I, was like a delicious spice. Yeah, he's gonna be more than a spice in this comic, I think. Yeah, yeah. But it's a short four issues, so if we hate it, it won't take that long. But maybe And we can tweet at Janita L. Davis. <laughs> yes, we can. Yes, we can. Uh, but I'm hoping that uh, it's going to be a pleasant surprise, and I'm excited to read anything new. And I love the Tradmore covers that accompany each issue of Deadpool. Yeah, you Thanos. showed me, and they're great. Yes. Okay, Lisa. So uh, it's time to say goodbye. Where can our listeners send their words of affirmation to you? I am always accepting words of affirmation at Sidewalk Siren on Instagram and Twitter. Brad, where can our listeners send their words of affirmation to you? You can find me on Twitter and all social medias at MouthDork. And again, if you're going to be in the D.C. area this weekend, come find us on Saturday in Room 101 at 11 a.m. for our Writing With Purpose panel at AwesomeCon. And if you're listening to this on the day that it drops and you want to go chill with Brad at a super rad comic book store, you can go to Big Planet Comics in Vienna, Virginia. Make sure to buy lots of stuff, support local bookstores. And don't spoil Avengers Endgame to me or you will have to face the consequences. Welcome to the gun show. I'm blinded. I'm blinded by your guns. <laughs> uh, I was not sure where you were going to go with that, so thank you. I'll take that as a compliment. It is. It is. They're very shiny, shiny guns. Very shiny. Lots of baby oil. Uh, Lisa, how can our listeners commit to our podcast? You can commit to this podcast by following us on Instagram and Twitter at CBCC Podcast and subscribing to us on iTunes, Podbean, and Spotify. Leave us a five-star review. We really appreciate it. That we do. And we'll read your review on the air. So, Lisa. And by the air, I mean the internet. It's time to keep your love tank full. And your psychic rapport open. Doopy doopy. Bum, bum, ba, da, bum, bum, ba, da, ba.